0: One of the things that I say almost daily is what are we doing for rural North Dakota today Um, in my office? And it is so critical because I think in many, many ways we're always at the end of the line. And it is our job in Washington, D.C. to push farming and ranching to the front of the line and make sure that everyone who eats understands how critically important American agriculture is and and, uh, making sure that American farmers and ranchers can continue to produce, continue to produce the greatest, highest quality, lowest cost food in the world and share that abundance uh, globally. So when you look at farming and ranching, it's um, over 25% of our state's economy. Um, and, And honestly, that means if farming and ranching is doing well, North Dakota, it does pretty darn good. As spring rolls around and uh, farmers get out in the field, I thought I'd use this episode of The Hot Dish to talk about crafting the next farm bill and the importance of trade to agriculture. Today on The Hot Dish, I'm joined by two North Dakotans who know agriculture through and through. Senator Hovind has represented North Dakota in the Senate since 2011. Before that, he was our governor of the state of North Dakota for 10 years. He currently leads the Agricultural Appropriations Subcommittee. He and I get to serve on the Ag Committee together, which leads to, I think, bipartisan results for North Dakota. We're also joined by Mick Kerr, the host of Farm Talk, a radio program that folks across North Dakota rely on for the latest news, market updates, and the weather. Mick has extensive knowledge in farming and ranching in our neck of the woods and that's why I invited him to lead our conversation. We'll be talking about our priorities for the next farm bill and the need for trade policies that support farms and ranch jobs. Almost a quarter of North Dakota's workers are farmers and ranchers or they work in farm-related jobs. According to USDA, North Dakota agricultural exports support about 27,000 North Dakota jobs. That just shows how vital those exports are to our state's economy. Mick, before I hand it over to you, I want to ask you a question. The administration recently posed about a 21% cut in USDA's budget. Senator Hovind and I have been pretty vocal, saying those cuts are not workable for North Dakota, especially at a time of low commodity prices. What have you been hearing about this from our producers, and can you share any insights um, from from the ground in North Dakota?
1: Well, certainly producers are very concerned about how the budget for the USDA would affect the Ag Department and uh, things that affect obviously trickle down into the farm bill, like crop insurance and, uh, you know, the Arc County payments. All of that is a part of uh, the the bigger picture. But I think in the short term, producers are more concerned about just plain old getting in the field and doing (laughs) what they do every day. I've got some flood warnings up in northeast corner of the state, and soil temperatures in the mid 30s. So that's going to take a while to resolve that problem. Got, generally, uh, south central, southwest, and western part of North Dakota soil temps are in the mid 40s. So I've heard uh, rumors of, uh, that there are some people out there planting wheat. Although <laughs> after last Friday's uh, crop report, looks like uh, this goes way back to Senator Milton Young days. Uh, Wheat is no longer king in North Dakota. It's soybeans now, Senator.
0: Well, it's incredible. And the thing is, every crop year begins with a whole lot of optimism. And we want to make sure that we aren't doing anything in Washington that would in any way affect that optimism. Because when you look at the kinds of inputs that go into the ground and the kinds of investments that our farmers make in putting in a crop, they need to know that there's some hard work happening here to make sure that those investments pay off.
1: All right. Regarding the farm bill, uh, uh, timing, there's been some rumblings that uh, people you know, want to get this thing done, maybe for the first time in uh, 16, what, a uh, year, maybe get it done on time. Uh, do you see that happening, Senator Heitkamp?
0: Well, I'm going to turf that to John because he's in the majority party. And I know that uh, Senator Roberts keeps saying we can get it done on time. Uh, Colin Peterson does, but he probably has better insights than I do.
2: Well, uh, first, met great to be with you and Senator Heidkamp and talking about our favorite subject, which is agriculture and our great farmers and ranchers who produce the uh, highest quality, lowest cost food supply in the world. And every American benefits every single day from the great work they do. And and Heidi and I both work on ag uh, here in D.C., and we need to. It's a tough time in the farm patch. And uh, as far as the Farm Bill, you know, the target is to get it done next year. and uh, This year is all about getting input, uh, finding out uh, you know, from our producers and the producer groups what we need to do, figuring out, how, figuring out how best to do it, and then crafting the very best farm bill we can. And I think that starts with the heart and soul, of course, is a countercyclical safety net and crop insurance, and we go from there. But I, I, real, I really think that we are targeting to get it done next year. That is on time, and we want to do everything we can to get it done on time.
1: Do you see this time around an effort to separate the nutrition title and the commodity title?
2: Uh, It's possible that that, there could be discussion of that in the House, uh, but I think ultimately the two uh, uh, will go together and need to go together in order to get enough votes to pass.
0: I think that Chairman Pat Roberts just recently said that's a non-starter over here, and I think
1: he's right. Right. Yeah. All right, uh, cuts to crop insurance—that uh, you know—that's pretty important uh, and uh, to producers, not just in North Dakota but uh, everywhere in the in the U.S. Is do you see, you know, with a re- much reduced budget, everybody's got to do more with less? Uh, uh, is crop insurance a target?
2: You know, it is, Mick, uh, by the folks that are always trying to um, you, the, that oppose uh, farm policy. But look, it's an absolute priority, and we have to make sure. Uh, that we maintain support for crop insurance at the current level. Uh, that is one of the key risk management tools. I would say the the countercyclical safety net and, and crop insurance are the two key uh, risk management tools, and we've got to uh, maintain them uh, at their current levels. And, you know, people have to realize that agriculture has provided real savings to the budget. When we passed the last farm bill, uh, it was projected to save 23 or 24 billion dollars, and, and it's saving significantly more than that. So we're, you know, we're doing our part, in Ag, and now we need to be able to maintain our funding levels and support our farmers and ranchers.
0: I think I want to just add um, that some of the attacks come because people say, "Well, look at the adjusted gross income of these farmers, and if you have adjusted gross income above a certain amount, and that would devastate the risk pool." If, if a lot of uh, wealthier farmers decide we're not going to buy crop insurance, that's going to weaken the whole system. And so we just have to educate our colleagues that when you, you, you they may think that they're still protecting, uh, you know, uh, farmers who, uh, who struggle a little bit more, who don't have that level of wealth or AGI. But let me tell you, it will weaken the whole program, which actually will have consequences for farmers across the board.
2: And that's true of any risk pool, and it has to be treated the same way in that you need those producers in there both to manage risk and ultimately help reduce the cost. And Those are a lot of acres
0: that we're talking about taking out of crop insurance, which will weaken the whole system.
1: All right. Senators, let's talk about Sonny Perdue for a little bit.
0: There's very little controversy, and the reason why there's urgency to this is I think the administration, the White House, is making decisions on trade. They're making decisions on budget. We need an advocate in that room. We need somebody who's going to pick up the phone and call the president and call the head of OMB and say, these cuts aren't appropriate, and you have to know that we sell a lot of soybeans to, to China. Um, you know, it would be great if you were on board this week when we're looking at this meeting this weekend that the president will have with the uh, premier, the president of China.
1: Yeah, And Senator Heitkamp, you found him as an advocate for opening up trade with Cuba.
0: I did. In fact, he had a great thing. He said, we're, we're the corner store to Cuba. I love it. They, the guy is absolutely charming and, and really an interesting uh, person. He's been involved in agriculture for a long time. Keeps reminding me that his grain elevators move wheat corn and uh, soybeans because we always worry about those people south of the Mason-Dixon worrying more about uh, peanuts and rice and cotton. Um, So he's the real deal. He knows this work. And and the thing that we need to do on trade in particular is we need to have a very vocal voice uh, in places like Mexico saying that our American producers still want to trade with Mexico and and they're interested in maintaining those long-term relationships. And if we don't have that from the top down,
2: I think we're going to have some tough times ahead in in agricultural trade. As uh, Heidi said, you know, really only one opposing vote out of the the whole Ag Committee and and generally the Ag Committee, agriculture in general is a very bipartisan subject. So I think the more we can do on Ag, the more it will help bring folks together.
1: Just one non-Ag topic, but bring up health care because that is a very Ag topic. Yep, Par- mm-hmm. Farmers and health care. What's the future of health care and
2: well, health Me- reform? Mac Me- Mick, look, uh, this goes to what we're talking about. I, I mean, we do need to reform uh, health care. There's no question about it. And, you know, we want to repeal and replace. I know on, on Heidi's side of the aisle, they talk about trying to fix it. But, you know, somehow we've got to get a health care system that works for the American people. And as we're talking, it would be good if we could do that in a bipartisan way, not only so that we can get it done, but so that it lasts for the long term and really serves uh, all Americans. And as you said, this is a real issue uh, for farmers. our farmers and ranchers are, who are facing higher uh, health care uh, insurance premiums. And so, you know, we need to find a way to get it done. And and on all these issues, whether it's ag tax reform, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's health care reform, we've got to find a way to work together in a bipartisan way.
0: Well, I think on healthcare, you know, people forget that some of the largest cash outlays for farm families is, in fact, healthcare.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's been true for, I mean, for decades. And so um, getting this right is critical to rural America. It's critical to the people that we represent. It also means not doing it in a way that um, uh, explodes the system and says, good luck. And, and I think that you saw that with the with the House bill that was being advanced, I, I think they're back to the drawing board. We're going to take a look at that. But I think at the end of the day, and you know... I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, but, you know, when the Speaker says, well, we certainly don't want the President working with Democrats, that's just not a path forward um, for for success. And so I think that there's, that you know, I've been proposing changes to the health care law since I got here. I'd love to have a conversation, but one of the things that we've got to quit talking about is just thinking we're solving the health care problem by just dealing with the health with the Affordable Care Act, we have a looming problem in health care with the cost of um, health care exploding, and we need to have a real discussion about how we curb those costs and, and better share the risk of, of incurring those costs.
1: What was wrong, though, with the health care reform as proposed by the White House? Was it political? Why, did, why was it DOA?
0: Well, I think it was D.O.A. because number one, 24 million people would not have health insurance after a period of time, and there was, as as the Freedom Caucus said, there's no guarantee that you'd see lower premiums. And so, uh, I think I think there's there's not a clear kind of path forward, um, and until you resolve the question, which is the fundamental question, is what what role will the federal government play? Um, until you kind of come to some kind of consensus on that, it makes it very, very difficult. But that that bill would have had dramatic effects for rural hospitals by pulling uh, support away from Medicaid expansion.
2: The key is that we find a way to make sure that Americans have access to health care insurance that they can afford and they have a bigger say in you know their health care and their health care providers, their doctor, Uh, their hospital. And and that's got to be the objective for all of us.
0: Well, and just remember this, that the health care bill that was was proposed was basically opposed by every major medical association, whether it's the hospital association, whether it was the American Medical Association, AARP. I mean, it it just didn't have enough um, sunshine on it. I think was done uh, in the dark. And, and so, you know, we'll see what, what comes out of this week. I think they're, they're trying to come up with a second proposal. We'll take a look at it when they do. If We think it's better than what we have. We certainly will, will consider um, uh, supporting it. But if we think that it's going to dramatically hurt rural hospitals, if I think that it's going to take, um, uh, take away health care from North Dakotans who currently have it, it's not something that, that I think um, is a good good way to start.
2: And, Mick, what I would say is we need health care reform. And, and whatever comes out of the House, obviously we're going to do more work on it in the Senate. And uh, ultimately I hope we can uh, find a way to, to uh, bipartisanship. It's a
1: big problem. needs a big fix. So. Well, that,
2: right, that's true. We've come to the end of our
1: allotted time. Any closing thoughts, Senator?
2: Well, just, just
0: on, the, on the actual budget cuts, we're going to be watching that, and, and we should be grateful that Senator Hoven's running point on, on those cuts because he's not going to have, let anything bad happen to uh, North Dakota, and I, I want to applaud him for a quick response to making sure that those cuts don't happen and, and um, pledge to work to um, make sure that people on my side of the aisle understand the importance of investing in rural America
2: well and again big picture we need to continue to talk about all the great work our farmers and ranchers and do do and the fact that they are finding real savings and right now it's a tough time in the in the ag patch and we need to be there and uh, and recognize that good farm policy benefits every single american every single day
1: I think we can close with that line Excellent. That's the hot dish. Hey, I'm coming out to see you guys the first week of May for Washington Week with all the farm broadcasters.
2: We'll see you then. Sounds great.
1: Okay, thank you very much.
2: I'm
0: excited to have my good friend Ryan Taylor on the hot dish today. Ryan is North Dakota at its finest, and no one understands the needs of rural communities better than Ryan. Ryan is a fourth-generation rancher and towner who personally understands the challenges and needs of our farmers and our ranchers. Most recently, Ryan served as North Dakota State Director for the United States Department of Agriculture's Rural Development Office. In less than two years, Ryan and his team at USDA delivered almost $600 million in loans, grants, and loan guarantees to North Dakota and to our state's rural communities. What a record. Thanks so much for joining us. Joining me, Ryan. I, Ryan, I understand when when we were putting this together, you had quite a few opinions, and they weren't about rural agriculture and rural development. They were about hot dishes. What's that all? Well, about? Well, with
3: a name like the hot dish, it just took me on a you know trip down memory lane, Heidi. Because uh, you know the hot dishes I have known it's the uh, only thing I know more about than hot dishes. Summer sausage sandwiches, probably. So uh, <laughs> it, it's a you know it's, it's a staple of, of our family and. and uh, it's hard to pick a favorite because you know there's so many. But uh, what we tell our kids, Heidi, is uh, whenever Nikki makes a hot dish, and what I've eaten, uh, you know, growing up, is the the secret ingredient to hot dishes, love. So I don't know if anyone's told you that on this podcast. Oh, before. I thought you were going to uh, say
0: cream of mushroom soup. <laughs> Ryan, I thought you were going to say the secret ingredient is cream of mushroom. Well, soup. Well,
3: that's right up there too. Our cream of celery, our cream of chicken, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, hot dish is what brings community together. If, you're, if you have a tough time in your family, uh, neighbors bring hot dish. If uh, uh, if you get sick or or you know not is able to take care of yourself, uh, people bring hot dish. So so the government it, should it, be a little more like It is the hot true
0: comfort. It is the true comfort food of uh, of North Dakota and the Midwest, and what I love, and the reason why we love this name, is because most people say, "What is a hot dish?" <laughs> you say, "You might call it a casserole." We would never use that fancy, you know, multisyllable oh, word to for to describe. Yeah, I know. So um, I'm sure, since you have left USDA, you have been watching very closely and and um, knowing the work of rural development in our state and the great things that are done with these resources. Um, how surprised were you that um, we have a budget now that looks like we're going to slash so many of these programs and uh, reduce that commitment to rural America? This new um, uh, Trump budget. Well,
3: it was it was it was jaw dropping, Heidi, and and we. You know north dakota has benefited from from rural development because we're a very rural state um for many years and, and it's always been uh i think a, such a well-accepted suite of programs uh, with bipartisan support um everyone knows and appreciates uh, uh, these programs and and you know for a budget to basically it seems like go off the uh, the heritage foundation blueprint and and just start cutting things at work uh, and, and that's uh, what I've learned uh, in my time at rural development is that these are programs that work. You put capital into communities, you have communities with people that have commitment uh, and those two things together uh, accomplish great things in in rural places. And there's no other agency that really is solely dedicated to uh, uh, rural communities. And with North Dakota's makeup as a rural state, um, it would be a huge loss if if this budget were to, to go through as is and, And maybe people wouldn't realize what they didn't have until it was gone, but it's huge.
0: Yeah, I think we make a mistake, though, Ryan, when we just talk about the money. Can you just give, like, maybe two, three examples of projects that were done when you were at USDA um, that that people would say, yeah, that's a good investment? Well,
3: absolutely. It's it's, it's infrastructure. So the two big programs that they would cut was our water program and our business programs. Actually, you could list every town practically in North Dakota's benefits from water, but you know, highlight one like New England, where you've got the, uh, old cast iron pipes from 1947, and you, and you put brand new PVC in the ground, millions of dollars, depends upon grant and loan, and that what we do in those programs means your water bill is lower, it means that they can actually get it done, and you turn on the faucet, and you've got clean water in New England, North Dakota. Um, there's hundreds, hundreds of those kinds of projects. so. Uh, On the business side, uh, uh, we call it the Red Lake Program, but these are co-ops like Electric and Telephone who uh, borrow money from USDA at 0% and then re-lend that to a hospital, uh, to a daycare center, uh, to a local egg business uh, for up to 10 years, and that's what makes that project work. Um, That's what helps keep healthcare in in Bowman, where they work with Slope Electric, uh, in Hazen, uh, where West River Telephone worked with uh, the, the Sakakwee Medical Center. Um, and those are you know, those are real projects that keep jobs in communities, give you health care that's that's close to home. And those are those are threatened in this budget and it's it's real people and it's real communities.
0: Well, and I think it, and it is it is providing the services in those rural communities that revitalizes and keeps rural America alive. The one thing I want to say is that when you walk around some of the centers that we have, whether it's Amazon in Grand Forks or whether it's Aetna in, in Bismarck, half the desks are empty. And they go, no, 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 don't think that those that we don't have employees. Those employees are working from home, and they're working from home in places like Carrington. They're working from home in places like Minto because of these investments. What do I mean by that? I mean that if we did not have the investment that we put in broadband in North Dakota, in in making sure that we have that access, there wouldn't be any working from home. People be driving. People would be leaving their communities. People wouldn't have that option. And so, you know, this is real investment that most people in North Dakota, if you sat down and said, do you think we should be using these dollars this way, especially given a program that revolves and that um, basically self-populates so that we can continue to provide these resources, most people say this is a great idea. But why are we cutting it? And that's that's a question that we have to ask when we're confronted with this so-called skinny budget. But I think it's absolutely critically important that people understand how valuable these resources are to leveraging infrastructure in rural communities and keeping the lights on in in so many of our mid-sized towns in North Dakota. Um, one thing I did want to also talk about, Ryan, is the importance of exports, the importance of um, trade relationships, and Uh, And a concern that I have, and and I hear it almost daily from uh, my producer groups who are going down to Mexico, uh, producer groups who are reaching out. We've had more visits from Canadian officials than I can care to talk about talking about continuing and building those relationships. Um, how important do you think trade is to agriculture, Ryan? And and how concerned are you about um, uh, what's happening right now, uh, kind of globally, in terms of North Dakota's trade on our agricultural products? Well,
3: well trade is, is uh, integral to, to our business of agriculture. And it's a, it's a numbers game idea. We have 325 million people or so in the U.S. There's 7.4 billion in the world. And when you grow food, you, you need mouths and stomachs, and, and 95, 96 percent of those those mouths and, and stomachs are outside of our borders. Um, you mentioned China, you know, which we've heard a lot of tough talk about. Um, Mexico, uh, which we've heard a lot about, renegotiating NAFTA, um, uh, pulling our chair away from, from the table with, the you know, 12 other nations and not having a seat at that table. Um, those are those are really concerning issues, and—, and we can look at numbers, uh, you know, in the cattle business, which uh, I am in. Um, you know, that's $300 a head on a, on a carcass value. So you figure that out, it's, you know, I'll be calving out cows this spring. It's like going out and, and every every seventh calf, if we didn't have export value, that $300 of export value, uh, it'd be like every seventh calf just disappearing. Um, you know, if someone if someone one... ruffled that calf, we'd be pretty mad, wouldn't we? <laughs>
0: you know what one of the things that that we've been talking about is the Japanese market we have fought forever to open that market up to both pork and beef and now with the withdrawal from TPP from the trans-pacific partnership um, and looking at negotiating a bilateral with Japan Japan's taken agriculture off the table so that 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 promise of opening up that market, is is quickly uh, dissipating. Um, And so so people say, well, you know, give him a chance. I think that's right. Give him a chance. But I think uh, uh, I spent some time talking to Lighthizer, who is the likely head of USTR. He'll be our trade negotiator. He believes in doing bilaterals, but he's going to have a tough time putting agriculture on the table with Japan, which I think is the likely first place he's going to go. And that means producers like Ryan and producers across North Dakota who who uh, raise cattle are are going to have a limitation on their market. The, uh, the and and to their there credit. Is, is
3: Australia and New Zealand will, will go there. And, and of course, you know that uh, if we're going to sell at a 38% tariff and, and Australia will get in there at a, a potentially a 9%, um, we You know, we can't allow that to to happen. And someone, like you said, um, and like my old boss Tom Vilsack said, is in this administration and, and hopefully you and your work in the Senate, someone needs to be there to pound the table to make sure that they understand what's happening in rural America, whether it's those rural development programs or the importance of export markets. Someone needs to pound the table and make sure they understand.
0: I think the surprise that that a lot of us are going through is is um, we thought that uh, with this change, uh American agriculture and rural communities would be number one. Seems like we don't even have a seat at the table. We finally um, uh, got the paperwork for Sonny Perdue. I think he went through with our committee almost unanimous. Um, w- given a choice, Mitch McConnell was given a choice of moving Sonny Perdue's nomination forward or the deputy head of Homeland Security, and he chose the deputy Homeland Security head. It's like, wait a minute, hello. You know, we thought rural America was going to come to the front of the line, and we're not seeing it. And so, I think if we just kind of sit quietly and wait our turn, um, we will always be last. And I don't intend to sit quietly and wait our turn. I,
3: I think uh, you know a couple of things that I think about is is one we want to make big investments in infrastructure. we we have a mechanism to do that in rural development. We've been doing it, and we'd love to do. More of it. So, so, so don't break it apart. Um, Go with something that works. And, and while we appreciate, you know, regulatory relief in agriculture, and and that's all good. But you know what, if you don't have a place to sell your products, um, that regulatory relief doesn't do you do you a lick of good.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of young people who come to Washington, D.C., and then when I'm back home, uh, do schools, and I've done a lot of Skypes. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I always do one thing. I hold up my hand, and I it has a, a, you know, a pretty big paw, and I say, Five, if you remember nothing else, remember this. I said, Today, the American population is only 5% of the global population. If we only sell stuff to ourselves we will fail. We may not fail right now, but we will fail into the future. Now, do we need to be tough on negotiations and do the right thing and and not, you know, uh, give away our great uh, uh, market for free? You bet. But the reality is today, American markets are much, even if you did no trade agreement, American markets are much more approachable because we have lower tariffs. And so, you know, it's been interesting. The other big topic here, Ryan, has been the border adjustment tax. And I, there's they're, they're fairly split in terms of whether that's something that rural America can appreciate and understand. But I think that my big concern on the border adjustment tax, if we do it and the rest of the world decides to retaliate, we know the way they retaliate. They retaliate on agricultural products. And so, you know, we will bear the brunt of a noncompliant um, tax code. That will then injure um, uh, American agriculture the,
3: the the numbers of course are, are you know right there for all my neighbors that that aren't raising cattle uh, you know twenty percent eight percent of that corn goes to Mexico ninety um, percent of our soybeans go across the uh, uh, borders seventy percent of that to, to China so you know it, it, it's it, we're gonna have to be smart uh, about these uh, negotiations Um Go there with uh, with our best foot forward and, and and get our best deal for for the products we make.
0: Well, it, when you when you look at corn, corn's a great example. All of and and I've said publicly. I was just on a uh, uh, an event with the Wall Street Journal and and Senator Portman, and I just said, look, you cannot isolate trade policy from foreign policy. What's happening right now in Mexico is very dangerous because the left leaning um, party is basically going to be the anti-American party. And if they win that presidential election, we are going to lose any level of cooperation. And so my advice to producer groups right now is get down to Mexico. Continue your unilateral relationship with Mexico, that friend-to-friend relationship, that business-to-business relationship, and assure them that that you're working to prevent um, uh, uh, further disruption uh, of that relationship. And I, I I, can't tell you the number of people who have come to me. And, and it's people all the way from people who understand what's happening in commodities and marketing commodities to growers who have been down there saying, we have a real challenge, especially as it relates to yellow corn. We have got to um, stabilize uh, this relationship with Mexico or they are going to be buying from Brazil. They are going to be buying from Argentina. And so Um, You know, this is not a relationship that we can ignore, a trade relationship, but we have to tap down the rhetoric. Um, You know, a secure border is in everyone's interest, and I am all about a secure border. Um, We've had 22 hearings, Ryan, in Homeland Security, and we have had everybody from the most conservative people to the most liberal people. 22 hearings. Not one person has said that a wall from sea to shining sea makes sense. So, so. You know that that wall is what's standing between us right now and good trade relationships with with Mexico. Let's let's be honest about what we're going to do. Let's secure our border. Let's work with the Mexican authorities to secure their southern border, which is where most of the migration is coming from. And let's um, uh, reestablish our commitment to a strong trade uh, agricultural trade relationship with
3: Mexico. And, and I don't think we pull the rug out from under the new water tower in Ellendale to to build a wall that. that may or may not work or likely not work, and, and all those infrastructure projects that we've got here because uh, having a vibrant uh, agricultural uh, business means you've got to have vibrant communities. I, I think it all works hand in hand.
0: Well, and, and you know, kind of as a, as a last thought, the greatest strength that America has, we have the strongest military, we have the best uh, institutions of higher learning, we have an incredible country, it is a great country, but one of the reasons why we are the greatest country in the earth is, is we have a strong economy, and we have to do the things that make sure that our economy stays strong and that, that we understand that um, we need to win in globalization, but we also can't walk away from globalization because it's on us and, and in, in a state like North Dakota where we just recently opened up the export markets for our oil we want to make sure that we have access to all of the markets globally uh, um, for our ag products um, to retreat from from globalization is not good for a state like North Dakota. I don't think there's any doubt about it. So um, Ryan, it is always great uh, uh, talking to you I, I, I could only imagine those kids, any one of them as tall as you Right no, now?
3: but our oldest is almost as tall as his grandma, so the the benchmarks are being set. So,
0: well, and how how tall is Nikki? She's like well, six she something, can, right?
3: She can wear her boots when she's with me because I'm six foot two, but I think she's actually five foot ten <laughs> with uh, without her heels. So.
0: <laughs> but your kids, you're raising the most invaluable and important resource. Um, for the great state of North Dakota and those are those three beautiful children that you have and so uh, thank you for continuing to believe in rural America. Thank you for all the work that you do. Keep talking about it, Ryan. And I know you're given a lot of chances to get out there and, and visit. Um, you have a way of describing our challenges so that everybody can understand. And so um, I, I you're, you're you're truly, truly one of the great uh, uh, folks right now in our state um, to. Uh, uh, spread the word about the challenges that we have if we cut rural development and the challenges that we have if we do not trade.
3: appreciate that, Heidi, and and, uh, we'll keep putting love in the hot dish and whether we're visiting uh, folks that we export our markets to or folks that, uh, you know, can help hold up these rural development programs. Maybe we just need to sit down over a plate of hot dish and get this all figured out.
0: (laughs) Tater tots, my favorite.
3: With corn, not green beans.
0: No, mm -mm, (laughs) mm -mm, Peas. What's the matter with you?
3: Maybe that's a Hankinson versus Downer difference. it's
2: hard to say.
0: Talk to you later, Ryan.